This week, I sit down for a chat with Sandiswa Kula, a birder, photographer, and captivating storyteller. You might recognize her from the engaging posts that she has shared on Facebook over the past few years. In this episode, we delve deeper into the person behind the posts. We explore her upbringing, her journey with nature and birding, and learn about her involvement in the Mabula Ground Hornbill Project. Join us for a fascinating insight into the life of a truly remarkable individual. Bring new life into your garden with Westerman's Wild Bird Seed, a delicious seed mix attracting a variety of wild birds to your garden. Find it at various pet and lifestyle retailers across South Africa, online and in-store. Westerman's, for the love of birds. So, let's get to know Sandiswa Kula. Okay, so I've got Sandiswa Kula on the line and welcome to the podcast. This has been a long time in the making, so it's fantastic to have you on the show. Welcome finally to the Burning Life podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It has been it has been a few years actually. <laughs> so we're going to make up for it today. We're going to have a good long chat. We're going to find out about your story and I'm excited about this. I mean, we got to know you over Facebook. You are an amazing storyteller. Um, we got to know you. We got to love your 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 gran or your gogo. We've got we we fall in love with her. I think she's she's all of our She's become all of our grandma now, so it's been fantastic <laughs> to get to know you and to get to know her also. I'm very sure she's like, I think she actually likes you guys more than me sometimes, so I'm glad you're actually acknowledging her existence here. Thank you for that. No, that's fantastic. So I'm just going to ask five quick questions. These aren't all, these aren't all birding related. Um, these aren't uh, rocket science questions, so don't overthink them. You ready for it? Okay. Um, give it to me. Okay, so first question. What is a song that you feel defines you? Oh, you can't ask me that because I'm a music fan. Uh, it depends on my mood, but currently I can tell you it is My Life Would Suck Without You by Kelly Clarkson. I must be honest with you, when I looked at your, your, your profile, how you look, you look like a, a, you look like a music person. <laughs> I, I am a music person and most of the time it goes according to my mood. So I'll go through a classical music mood and then I go through a rock music. It's, it's, I'm forever singing. My colleagues don't like me very much because they'd say one line and there's a song coming to my mind with that line in it. But I love that because, you know, it's music. You know, we, we talk about you being a storyteller and mm. music is just something that just captures. I mean, I can hear a song. And when I grew up, my, my parents had like hundreds and hundreds of, of records. And I can mm. hear certain songs. I mean, for me, it'll be like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or Deep Purple, this type of music, this old 70s, mm. 80s music. And as soon as I hear it. I can think back to a bra when we were growing up. I can like get these like these these memories, and it's amazing. I mean, I, I was watching in the, at, at the Grammys the when Tracy Chapman did that fast car, mm-hmm. and it's just how that's just grabbed the world. And it's amazing how music just takes us to a different place. And it's actually funny because that song has been around for quite a while, but because now there's a new um, demographic of people who are actually listening to old school music, you get to relive. And for someone who's listened to that type of music before, it was a, a thing of. Oh, actually, music is forever. <laughs> you might actually forget it for a few years, but then it just needs you to listen to it one time, and then you remember everything that actually happened like 20 years ago. And you're probably getting all these youngsters going and saying, wow, have you heard the song? In the meantime, the song has been around since longer than they've been, than, than they've been alive. Please don't mention that. Then I'm going to lose my, my street cred because <laughs> I'm very good with my cousins because they're like 10, 12 years younger than me. And then when I'm like, oh, I knew that song four years ago. They're like, ah, sister, but why are you doing this to us? So let's not go there, please. <laughs> okay, second question. This is like, this, this question is always a good question. What is your favorite food? Food. Um, 
ooh, chicken and dumplings, especially the type that my granny makes. And it's not bought chicken, it's the chickens we had at home. So anything that is naturally gotten from home is my thing. But when my grandmother makes it, it's the best. So chicken and dumplings made on the fire, not on the stove. Eh? What's the name of the dumplings? Isn't it Ejeka or something? I'm saying it very, I'm saying it like a white guy. Yeah. What's the name? Is, isn't it got a, another name? Um, Yes, Sulu, it's called Dujek, right? And uh, in Kosa, do we actually have it? It's just Dombolo. So the funniest thing about uh, the Kosa language, especially if you are me who tends to mix Konglish, a lot of words that I don't know in Kosa, I just say E and the English word. So I'll just say Dombolo and everyone will know it's dumpling. Um, but I know in Zulu, they call it Dujek, right? And then for us, it's just Konglish, Dombolo. People are getting a real cultural education yeah this is what this is about so to next question okay we are south africans cricket or rugby why are you doing this to me um cricket because i used to play i used to play cricket until oh my my shoulder started dislocating just randomly so cricket because i used to play but rugby because it's so much more fun to watch i'm a i'm a bigger cricket fan i love rugby i was proud that the springboks mm. won but i'm a big cricket fan and obviously bafana bafana getting to you know i think it was the mm-hmm. i think it was the semis or no the quarters or the semis i can't remember i think it was yeah the semis of the, the semis. fantastic it was amazing actually it was such a surprise a good surprise so i was very happy to watch that as well okay this is a question that would make would just show how awesome you are or maybe not as awesome just just saying no judgment coffee or tea coffee please Okay, you're awesome. You've like passed the mark. Well done. And I know you guys just we can be talking about the Mabula Grand Hormel project. I know there's a coffee yeah. that 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 when people buy that coffee, it actually supports the Hornbill project. Uh yes. Um, but I think I might lose my cred there because I don't do filter coffee. I I, I sort of had uh, dependence on it when I was working in Cape Town. And now if I drink coffee, it has to be Instant coffee, otherwise you do not want to deal with me when I'm going through uh, ground coffee withdrawals. Um, but I'm pretty sure there is there is support via uh, a coffee supplier. I just have to figure out which it is. And then the last question, this well, not the last question of this slot, is your favorite bird species? Um, biased, I would, I would like to say ground hornbills now because of where I am. But uh, the biggest one that I have even before everything else was the Cape White Eye. Because that's literally the first bird I could actually photograph. But currently, it's the southern ground hornbill because, you know, that's where I am now. Yeah, and it's just when you're talking about the favorite bird species, it's amazing how, you know, again, that goes back to to, to a memory. I mean, a Cape White for me is a very important one. Again, because when I started off birding, one of the photos I took, my mother was actually, and it's actually maybe a bit of a, a metaphor of, where she was at the time so my mother actually when i started birding my mother was actually at the at the end of her life she passed away sadly from cancer and she was struggling with stage four cancer at the time and i got a picture of a just from her back the the back door of the house and it was a little two two cape white ties amongst this bob wire and it was almost like the picture of you know beauty amongst the ugliness of of life in a (laughs) sense and it's amazing how you know just uh just a little bird will just invoke a memory, invoke something like you. You could straight away go back and say that's the first bird you were able to photograph while. And it's just amazing how birds don't they they connect with our stories in such an, a beautiful way. Definitely. Um, sorry about your mother. Um, first and foremost. But yeah. Um, if 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 I can paint a picture about my life, I didn't realize that birdie would be this high up in my life. But when I started photographing birds, and it wasn't even for 
anything besides me collecting pictures, but the Cape White Eye, I can even remember what I was doing. My One of my legs was not working out because I used to play soccer as well. And someone kicked me, didn't form properly, but I was pulling my leg <laughs> so that I could get that picture. And I was like, pain be damned. I am going to get that picture. And the first time that I got it was the happiest time of my life in Cape Town. And I'd been there for like 12 years. So there's always a memory that goes with anything. And I find it funny that everyone in the birding community actually has sort of the same story regarding their birding um, experiences. So we've chatted a little, we've started touching on little parts of your life and that, but you know, everyone knows you and we've got to know you over Facebook as a birder, but besides being mm-hmm. a birder, tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up and who, who is Sandisa Wakula? Oh, um, so I was born and raised in a very small village um, called Mkailo. It's a small village between Fort Beaufort and Alice in the Eastern Cape. And whenever I direct people, I say, if you want to go to Rhodes University, I'm like an hour and a half away. If you go to Fort Hare University, I'm 10 minutes away. <laughs> um, and that's where I grew up. I went to high school there. I only left the village when I went to varsity at Stellenbosch. So from 17 to like maybe 28, 29, I was living in Cape Town. I worked at the Botanical Garden in Stellenbosch. And I'm a family person. Like my grandmother, like a lot of people would know me. My grandmother is the love of my life. Um, Everything I do revolves around family, my sister, my nephew and niece. I enjoy being in nature because I think it also goes back to how I grew up in the village because I used to go out herding with my grandfather. I used to milk the goats at home. Um, ask me anything about goats, I'll let you know I love dogs. Um, like anything to do with nature, you can put my name next to it. It could be livestock, it could be dangerous game, anything. Just don't tell my grandmother I like dangerous game because she's going to come and take me from here and take me in a safe space at home. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, my life revolves around family and anything natural. And that stems from how I grew up and then what I did in university because I did nature conservation. So you see Sandy, so you see nature. That's literally my life. And then family scattered all over there. And then how did that, how did that evolve into a love of birding? Because not everyone who loves nature, I mean, even a lot of people go visit Kruger every year and just take pictures of the same mm-hmm. big mammals every single year. But how did that yeah. love of nature eventually develop into a love of birding? Um, if you ask anyone who knew me before I got into birding, I was a plant person. Hence, I worked in the botanical garden. <laughs> And then I worked at Mountain Zebra National Park. And then I was a big fan of the Big Five. And then I was like, okay, I've, I've reached my quota of, of nature loving. And then when I went back to work at the Botanical Garden after my in-service training, I was, I think I was starting um, a, a, a database for our plants. And I had to take a picture when the plant was flowering and when it was not flowering. And of course, it's Cape Town, Fainbos, when things flower, sunbirds are everywhere. And then the first picture I, I got, which was blurry, was of um, double-collared sunbird. But it, you couldn't see anything. You could just see a bird on there. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe I can start enjoying so that I can actually get a picture because I'm a bit OCD. <laughs> so it bothered me that I couldn't get a clear picture of that bird on an alu. And then for the longest time, I stood there and stood one day ended up being a week, a week ended up being a month, and it evolved into me trying to figure out all the other birds that were there. Hence, I got my very first picture of the Cape White Eye. So I think it was just gradual, as much as it was in the beginning about just big animals. 
But I think when I got exposed to something I enjoyed, which was photography, and then it included my plants, and then by default, birds would be on plants, it just went crazy and it caught on and I never looked back. What's cool about plant plant people, I've got my one friend, um, Sentin Biso, also a very similar journey, started with plants, botany, yeah. and eventually, you know, grew into love of birds. But I love botany people because they're so cool. They're like, they know how to, they, they just know how to drop like these scientific terms and everything is like, like blessing is like, Sentin Biso is like, he doesn't know what this tree is in English, but he'll tell you the, the scientific name. It's like, dude, it's like too much for me. Um, I used to be like that. I'm afraid to say that I've, I've let go of my plant ID a bit. Uh, to the dismay of a lot of people I went to school with. But I don't know. It's just one of those things where you, I, I think also when you first learn how to ID plants, everything you do revolves ar- around you trying to ID every plant you go, uh, you, you, you actually come across. I remember there was a time when we went to the beach with my cousin. I wanted to ID each and everything along the coast. <laughs> And he kept on going, we came here to swim. I'm like, one, I can't swim. So I'm going to stick to what I actually know. And that was plant ID at the time. And then it was just that thing of saying everything looks green, but at the same time, it's not the same. For me personally, it was that thing of, I can tell you the difference, why this is different from this. They might all look like trees to you, but also you can use it for different things. Um, you can actually eat certain parts of it. I think it's just because it's such a complex thing. You can have one tree, but then you can use five different parts of that tree for five different things. It was just that thing for me of saying, I know all about that. But then I've lost it now because birds took over. I need to go back to my plant ID, actually. And you keep a laugh list of the birds you've seen? Yes, I do. I I promised myself I wouldn't. Um, (laughs) But then, yeah, again, OCD sort of took over. And then when I started writing the stories about my birds on, on, on Facebook, it was so nice for me to learn the closer names for them because for the longest time I knew them in English. And because at varsity you get taught to ID in English, for me learning them in closer, and I'm like, I actually knew this bird. I just didn't know what it looked like because you'd hear the guys at home talking about Italia, for example. And then I'm there like, what is that? Not knowing that um, it is, what is, um, it's a crowned lapwing. So I'm there going, I knew the closer name for it, but I never knew how it looked. But then after I started trying to ID and give closer names, I had to keep a list because then also trying to put a closer name to a bird that can be called three different things in three different areas was also starting to be problematic. But I do keep a list. Uh, I just haven't updated it as much as I should here because I haven't gone birding a lot. But I do keep a, a live list. Yeah, I think once you start at laughless, it's a very slippery slope because then you just want to keep on growing it. But I just want to touch on two things you spoke about there. Well, let's just talk about firstly, you know, one of the things that BirdLife South Africa is involved with at the moment is the project mm. to get um, bird names in indigenous languages and local languages. So how important is it that, you know, I will talk about that a little bit later also about getting, you know, people in these rural areas involved in conservation, but how important is it to us to have bird languages in these indigenous languages if we want to you know, make birding more inclusive and get more people involved. It is important because, uh, funny enough, I am part of that project. Um, it's it's it, it started out for me as a thing of I am trying to relearn my language because for the longest time, everything I did was around English. But you, I found that I actually am missing out on a lot of knowledge that I thought I didn't know because there was no record of it or I never checked if there's a record or not. Um so 
it's it's always important for me to um, collate everything that I do to something that is tangible, either culturally for me, or it can be educational, scientific. It doesn't really matter how, but like there must be tangible things that I can pinpoint when I do something and getting people to love the language again. I think that's the main thing for me because I I knew the bird names. I just didn't know the birds and how they looked. And when I went around the village asking around when I started birding at home, I would ask about an English name and I'd find that people don't know it. But then the moment they see, then they'd give me the closer name for it. So there was a, a disconnect between them learning it in their language, which is Kosa, and me learning it at varsity in English. And then now we think we're talking about two different things. Whereas if there was a, 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 a noted down thing that says, oh, in English it's called this, in Kosa it's this, there's no disconnect between everyone because everything is inclusive in that way. Ma, we were actually birding in a rural area and we had one of the, uh, we, we were looking for Southern Grand Hornbill, actually quite close to us. And mm. We asked these guys, have you ever seen Southern Grand Hornbill? We were trying to explain to them and try to describe. And eventually, mm-hmm. um, Setumbiso actually said to them, oh, this is the, he actually told them the, the, the name of the bird in, in Isizulu. And straight away, they were like, I don't know, they, they, they've heard these <laughs> down in the, in the valley. And it's amazing how, but what, what always blows my mind is that from a Western outlook, you know, a Europe, more European outlook, you know, we just look at birds and tick them off or whatever. But in the mm. African culture, it's amazing how there's this deep connection. It's like you know when I when I spoke to people, it's almost like they it's almost like a spiritual connection. That it's like a much deeper connection with the natural world around. I love the fact that there's stories. I mean, you you know we all just see an owl, but for the in the the, the in the African cultures, there's there's mm. myths, there's stories behind that. There's almost a spiritual connection with it. It's actually amazing. It's just very powerful. Definitely. And um, it's, it's, it's funny that you should mention that now because I am trying, even with my, with my posts online, I am trying to align anything that I post to something that I, 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 I teach people. And I don't, I don't mean that in the sense that people know nothing, but also it's, it's me saying you didn't know that you didn't know this or you didn't know that you actually know it, but there was a disconnect again between what you thought you didn't know because you learn it in a cultural African way or you get taught it in a, in a, in a westernized way where you, you sort of lose the essence of you because we can't overlook the fact that South Africa is so diverse. And in that diversity, there's different beliefs within it. The context of nature, how we treat nature and specific species within nature mean different things for different people. But it's become such a westernized world, which is not a bad thing, but then not at the cost of losing the essence of what it means, for example, for me to be Umkosa. So it's always nice when you get like-minded people or open-minded people who want to learn something either than what's already out there because we've lost a lot of the information because our elders could, couldn't write or the, the, whatever records were there were not kept safe. So it's, it's, it's always nice for me to connect with people who sort of have the same outlook on what it means to be part of nature and around nature. Yeah, I mean, you, just, you said something so interesting there. And you know, I've, when I've read, I've got the one on the KZN birds. I haven't got the book right next to me mm-hmm. to sound clever and read some of the names. But what, what, what amazes <laughs> me, and I know, I, know what, I know the one they said, one of the challenges was, was that the bird would be called different things in different places. But as soon mm-hmm. as you, what I, what I read is when you read the name of that bird and you, then you go read the description, there's a whole story attached to why the bird is called mm-hmm. that. So what, 
you know, especially in the, the African culture, when we just use the Western name, we just call it a whatever, a village weaver or whatever. We don't have that 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 Zulu mm. name. It's almost like we we are extinguishing the stories of the you know the the generations to come. And I think that one of the ways that we can ensure that this generation has a love of nature is to keep them connected, yes, to to the bird in mm. front of them, but to keep them connected to you know, they, they, they keep them connected to their, their elders and the elders and the stories of the years that have gone past. Because when those stories are gone, it's, it's very, very sad. Yes. And you, you have lost a whole generation of information. I always tell people that the best thing that ever happened to me is having my grandparents in my life for as long as I did, especially my grandfather. And now my grand. My grand was not big on, on, on uh, me birding, for example, because she didn't see it as a way out of the village because what jobs do you get out there that have birding in them? <laughs> um, she wanted me to be a bank teller, a doctor, a pharmacist, anything other than that, other than what I'm doing now. But then when she, when she started seeing how much it meant to me and how much I was learning and how much people were appreciating that I go out of my way to get this information, she was helping me get in contact with people who knew better than her. And those were her peers, her sister-in-law, who was like 90 years as well. So if I wasn't into birding, I think I wouldn't have known all the information that I know now. And that is a whole generation of information lost if I didn't actually record anything. And that's just for me. Imagine everyone else around, not even just South Africa, the whole continent, because everything is connected to some sort of story. For example, the Southern Ground Hornbill, it's called Insikizi in Kosa. And it's because it's black. Because there's a song that goes Insikizi Nyama and Nyama means black. So the description of the bird is what gives it its name. And if you go and ask anyone about that bird, they'll know it because you gave them the Kosa name, but also the description that goes with that name. Whereas if you go Ground Hornbill, for them, it's foreign. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's always an sad when you lose a lot of information because there's a lack of um, um, sharing of information between people who know, who don't know, and people who don't know that they know. Um, so I'm hoping that with all the posts that I do, I get to learn a few things, but also try and reach as many young people to sort of, I don't know, embody the fact that we are African without losing the fact that we are being more modernized as time goes on. Okay, so Sandiswa, one of the topics that there's been a lot of discussion around um, is in America at the moment, the, the, the names of certain species are being changed. So what they've done is they've gone back in and they've said that any name, any bird that has a person's mm -hmm. name attached to it is going to be changed. And the reason for that is, is a lot of the names where, which birds are named after, they were attached to slavery and a whole lot of different things mm -hmm. that they're a bit of a that have hurt people, let's say yes. that much, okay? So a lot of people have obviously in South Africa have seen this as happening and there's, and, and obviously going forward, I feel this is probably going to happen in South Africa. Um, very often what happens in the in United States mm -hmm. happens in other places and there's been a big kickback. People saying, oh my word, they want to change names again, just leave the bird names as it is. And I want to hear, what are your thoughts? Do you think that this is that important? Is it that important that we look at the names of our birds and, and if it's been offensive, change and maybe change all of them? I don't know. What are your thoughts around the subject? Personally, um, if, if, if you are going to want to be inclusive to everyone and it's unfortunate that birding is such a 
uh, a, a hobby or a, a side of conservation that is very monopolized by older white gentlemen. Excuse my being frank, but I've said it before. Birding, especially bird photography, is such a linear thing that you actually clutch your pearls if there's a young black female person who does it. And I've gotten that a few times. But I think from me personally, because I grew up listening to rock music, I went to study at Stellenbosch. I worked a, a, at a very non-linear area. I got exposed to a lot of things early on compared to other people. But now the problem is you're trying to include everyone so that it's enjoyed by everyone because everyone gets to see a bird somewhere, whether you are trying to be, whether you're driving or you wherever, you will see a bird. And you want to have everyone feel like they're part of the community. And if now there's a thing that is causing them pain within that community, no one is going to want to join in, let's be honest. Um, but because I think I got desensitized to a lot of things early on in life with studying where I studied, listening to the music I listened to, and not sticking to what is typically a coarser thing of doing things, I, I, I broke a few barriers for myself. So if changing names means that you're trying to include everyone outside of what is actually happening now, which is mainly white, uh, rich, because photography equipment is so expensive. Uh, the bird books are expensive. Everything is expensive. So now if I'm going to spend 400 rands to buy a book and it has a name that I don't feel comfortable saying, I'm not going to buy the book. And if you want to include everyone, somewhere along the line, you're going to have to bend and say, okay, let's change the names. But is it important? Not really. What's important is getting people to see that there is this side of nature and everyone is welcome. And if welcoming them means that we remove and rechange names is what we have to do, then sorry, that's what's going to have to happen. And that's just my personal view of it. Whether it's going to happen in my lifetime or not, I don't know. But it would be nice to actually do in the long run so that everyone feels included without having to worry about what they're going to see in a book. And people will say it's just a bird name. For me, it might be something that means trauma, but for someone else, it doesn't. So in the name of all everyone being included, let's just try to get a medium ground for everyone to actually feel comfortable in. Yeah, when I chatted to uh, Setumbisa, we were talking about when that when they just changed the name of the the, the hot and tot mm. teal to the blue bill teal. And we had a yes. conversation about that. And he said to me, he said, honestly, when we had the the conversation about it, he said, honestly, it doesn't actually bother him that name. But mm. he said the the, the 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 statement he made there was so important. He said, if it's but if it's offensive to someone, let's rather change. Yes. And I thought that was such a, a sober statement. It didn't offend him. However, mm. if it's sensitive, if it's if it disoffends someone, let's rather change. And I think that yes. is a great a great perspective to have. Yeah, because. Because you can't say because it doesn't bother me, it shouldn't bother anyone else because you can't speak for everyone. So in the name of all of us enjoying nature wonderfully, if it means changing the name, then the names have to change. As always, the Birding Life is proud to be associated with Sarofsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website, 
www.thebirdinglife.com. If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com. So let's let's carry on. Let's step out of the this okay. area. So if anyone, if you're still listening, thank you for getting through that. Um, especially if you fall into <laughs> some sort of demographic. Thank you for listening to that. Uh, what was really excited, I was so excited. You know, we followed your stories on Facebook and such beautiful stories. But I was so Thank excited you. to see that you got involved in the Mabula Grand Hornbill Project, a really beautiful project. We've spoken to them before, spoken to Dr. Lucy Kemp. So how did you get involved yes. in this project? Because we almost out the blue, you, you, you're writing stories in the Eastern <laughs> Cape, and then one day you're up and there looking at hornbills. Tell us about how, how did that journey go and get involved in, in that project? Funny enough, how you describe it is how it happened. I was enjoying life at home, wasn't enjoying the unemployment, because when you lose a job, the first year you're trying to decompress and end. And. So it was amazing. My grandmother was taking care of me. I was enjoying birding at home, relearning the village, like the language and everything. But then after a while, unemployment kicks in and you're like, okay, I can't be leaving off my grandmother for longer than what I am now because I'm so used to being independent as well. And then somewhere along the line, when I was posting my pictures online, someone sent me a post about the, 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 the project needing um, an ops manager. And I'm there like, it's birds. I've done, I've done office work before. I, was, I used to be... Uh, uh, admin officer at my previous job. Um, and then I'm like, you know what? Let me try. Um, and then when you sell yourself, Sunday, so I, I actually had a conversation with myself. I said, when you sell yourself, sell the birds more than the admin work. Because I feel if you're going to work with nature in any type of form, you have to have a passion for it. Because if, if, you, don't ha- if you don't have that, you're just passing time. And it's such a shame for a person to just pass time with something as fragile and beautiful and amazing as nature so when i did my motivational letter i sold my bird photography i sold everything and then i just threw in there that i have experience in the job but you'll never find anyone who loves the project as much as i do um and funny enough like a couple of weeks later i got a message saying you have an interview a week after that i got an email from dr camp saying hey do you want to move to limpopo i was like for what and she goes, yeah, you got the job. I don't think I've cried that much in I don't know how long. <laughs> um, so it, it just happened, I think it, within the space of a month, I went from enjoying being home and moving to Limpopo. And I also think that I, I owe majority of me being here to the fact that I put my stories out there. So there was like an actual record of me enjoying being in nature and enjoying birds that I could actually... I don't know, rise above everyone else because I'm telling you now, you won't meet anyone who loves birds more than me in this project, except for maybe Dr. Camp. I, I think there's like a little cool little laugh lesson in that. You know, that there's that, that, that story they say, you know, basically follow your passion and you'll never work another day in your life. And I think what you've done so well is you've just stayed uniquely who you are. You've Sandiswa has always been yeah. who she is. You've put yourself out there. You've been authentic. You've been yeah. real. And I've been so excited, you know, looking, looking. I think last year you were one of the presenters with the Bird Life South Africa at the Bird Fair. You yes. up at the, Horn, the Grand Horbill Project right now. And there's just been so many doors that have been opened. And I believe one of the reasons that that has happened is you've just been authentically you. And I think for people out there, just be yourself. You know, get stop trying to copy everybody else. Stop trying to copy paste mm-hmm. what everybody else is doing. 
just be who you are. And I think that is where doors start to open because people resonate with some, someone that's just real, that someone's authentic. I think we're in a world where there's so much like, you know, the Facebook filter generation where people all put filters where you've just been real. And I think that's just such a lesson for everyone who's listening to this podcast. Definitely. Um, I've tried to, I don't know, conform to what I thought was wanted from me. This This goes back to the way I grew up at home in the village. And the only way for you growing up to get out of the village was to be a doctor, was to be like, you know, these professions, nothing wrong with those. But if you don't enjoy it, you will not succeed in it the way you would if you actually do something you you are passionate about. And I learned that the hard way because I went to varsity wanting to study something else. And then I got there, I was so miserable. And eventually I, I, I got into nature conservation and I'm like, where have you been all my life? Because it spoke to me, it spoke to the essence of who Sandiswa was. But also I think COVID time for me, it was the worst time for the world. But then for me personally, I think I needed it so that I can go back home and recalibrate my life and see what actually makes me happy. And I don't think if COVID hadn't happened, I would have been able to do that because I was very comfortable where I was, what I was doing, and happy with that. But I had to go back and be like, okay, Sandra, so if we're going to spend the rest of your life doing something you don't enjoy, then you're missing out on a lot of things. And I bumped into photography, I bumped into bird photography, and it just, my life lit up from the inside. And everyone has kept on telling me that it's because it speaks to you, that's why you can speak about it. And it didn't click to me until I got all this opportunity to, to do the bird life um, 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 shows. Um, when I did the Canon ad for, 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 for my bird photography, I was like, if I can spend a whole week away from home talking to someone like Roger Mackin and talk about bird photography and get paid for it, why, why have I not embraced this as something that is meant for Sundays? And that means not going according to what people think I should be doing. And I should be doing what I feel is right for me. And I'm so happy that people resonate with that. But at the same time, I'm happy that I actually got to that portion of my life. Because now I don't even have to, I don't know, sell a dream to people. I am living the dream. And my posts always show that because it's just too wonderful not to share. <laughs> And it's a little bit like how the burning off has gone because my passion isn't mm. the same as your passion, to be very honest. But this started in, in lockdown. Um, I just mm. wanted a podcast, started the podcast up, and you know, it never there was not there was not this long term plan with how it's gonna look. But yeah. it's amazing how things have actually have actually evolved and how things have just happened, how doors have started to open. And I think mm. that's you know, very often we and I think another thing you did is very oftentimes people almost wait to figure it all out before stepping out there. And sometimes just step out there, just do what you think is right and figure it out as you go along. And I think you you'll eventually figure out what that path looks like. And you know, I think if if we went back and when you started doing those posts all those years ago and we told you the doors that would have opened, the possibilities, the <laughs> the opportunity that would have come and the fact that you would have been in Limpopo now, you would probably thought you know, what are you smoking? But, you know, you, you know, just will think. <laughs> yeah, and doors are just open. And I think it's just being being authentic and stepping out, you know, embracing today, making the most of the opportunities that lie before us today. Yeah, and maybe if you don't do that, you miss out and then you always wonder, had I done that, what would have changed? And I can tell you now, 
I don't have that regret in my life of saying, ah, because I decided I'm going to go home. I'm going to figure out my life when I get home. And me being at home is the reason why I'm here today. And I, I, I tell everyone that I even tell my grandmother going, if I hadn't moved back home and figured out my life and what makes me happy, I would still be in Cape Town getting very well paid, but I wouldn't be Sandy, so the happy go like he pushes birds and stops driving. And like everything is just beautiful in my eyes. And that's because I'm doing something I enjoy and I love. And everything else is just a perk. And sometimes it's not planned, but when everything aligns, there's nothing you can do to stop it. And that's where I am currently. So I'm happy about that. So what does your role actually involve at the Mabula Ground Hobo Project? So um, officially, I am the operations manager. Um, unofficially, we all do like more than one thing, <laughs> um, especially when you're such a small team uh, and you have so many things to take care of, you become a, a jack of all trades. But officially, I'm the ops manager. Anything to do with the project has to go via me. Um, sometimes I don't like it because it means a lot of desk work. Uh, but I, 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 I was talking to Lucy yesterday and she was asking me, why, why do you think your role is so important in the project? And I'd never thought of it before, but when you look at an organization, it needs structure. <laughs> and without a structure, it, things crumble. And for the longest time, I didn't think that I was actually important in the project because everyone else would do road trips, they would do community, community engagement and whatnot. But end of the month, I was collating all the finances for that. And I'm like, if I wasn't here, all the guys who are doing all the monitoring out there would have to worry about having to do the recon that I'm doing end of the month. And now that's extra stress on them. And then when they have to go on a road trip again, they're too tired. So everyone has a role. And I'm now learning that even though I'm not out there fighting the fight on the ground, but being the ops manager and managing everything properly means that they can do the work on the ground. Once in a while, I go out with them. But I'm enjoying learning that everything structural needs a good foundation. And I'm part of that. And it's it's been an enlightening a couple of weeks. And that was just because it's a new year and I was trying to reshuffle my mindset. So there's a lot of ways that people can support the Mabula Grand Hobble Project. But one of the ways I know you guys are looking for at the moment is you're looking for in data in the Eastern Cape. So tell us a little bit about that. And also in terms of around the country, you know, when people are going out birding, mm. how can they support this important project? Yes. So we have a monitoring plan uh, for the Southern Ground Hornbill. And it needs information from each area that historically had the birds or currently has the birds. And that is based off the BMP that we have for the ground hornbills, uh, which is the biodiversity management plan. And everything it needs is data from the people who are on the ground everywhere because we are in Limpopo. So we can't have all the information from KZN, for example, without the people on the ground in KZN sending us data with regards to if they've seen the birds how many they saw, um, if you could tell a difference, was there a male and a female or was there youngsters and adults? And we have a WhatsApp group for that where you send your sightings in. Um, and then we have, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a lot of people will use bad lesser. So we'll have, according to Pentads, if you tell me that in the past four years, the birds have been seen for a year and then the next three years, there's nothing that was seen or sighted then that's a problem because then we're trying to figure out what happened to the birds that were there. 
because what a lot of people don't realize outside of the birding community is that hornbills are very territorial. So if they have a nest here, they're going to go back to that nest every breeding season. So if there's three breeding seasons that they were not seen at that nest, that means there's a problem. And that group that was there either moved away, it was fought off by someone else. But we don't know that if people don't send us sightings so that we can actually have trends of what's going on with the birds on the ground. And Eastern Cape is, it's the least recorded um, area where the ground hornbills occur. So what we're trying to do now is get people who are in the Eastern Cape who see the birds, send as many sightings as possible. It can even be like the same birds every year so that we know that that group is there. But now we don't have enough information to say if the birds that are there have been to when the first samples were taken four years ago or there's something wrong in the Eastern Cape. We can't decide what's going on. So we have a road trip going there, but at the same time, we need the people who are already there to send us the sightings so that by the time we do our overall um, reporting, it's it's as accurate as possible. And you mentioned a WhatsApp line. How do people get in touch with that? What is the number for that? So the number that we have for the sightings, and it's the number for, it could be sightings in Kruger, sightings anywhere in the country. It doesn't matter where you are, but we now need Eastern Cape. It's 079-754-6234. If people can just send their sightings, especially the other important thing when you send your sightings is a location. So just drop a pin of where you are so that when we also do our maps, um, you get you get to see a clear vision of where the birds are so that we know if it's the same group or if it's groups that are different that are sort of trying to figure out their life. Uh, but the most important thing is the location, how many birds you saw, if you can tell the difference between male and female or youngster and adult, and the number, the, the overall number of birds that you've seen. That would be amazing. Thank you in advance. So we encourage all our listeners to get involved in that. Now, I haven't gone and covered the whole of the Mubula Ground Hornbill Project. There is a previous mm. episode where we have a doctor, uh, an episode of Dr. Lucy Kemp. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, mm. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, wherever they are. We'll pop all the links in here, their website. Sandiswa, it's been so awesome to chat to you. I know it's been a long time overdue. It's been fantastic to chat to you. I can't wait to do this again. Thank you so much. And we just are, uh, you know, on behalf of all the birders in South Africa, we are so stoked. Cool, cool word. So stoked to see where you, uh, you know, how far you've gone. So, so congratulations. Well done. Thank you so much. It it actually means a lot because a lot of the people that I talk to now started out with me when I was a nobody in the birding community and I was just sharing my life. Um, and it's always a fulfilling for me to get to meet the people that I've talked to or either online or via email. So thank you for actually keeping up with me and I appreciate it and hopefully this is not the last time we actually speak. Well, you need to come do some birding in KZN so we can add some more birds to your life list. I think when they do some monitoring in, in KZN, you need to get down here so we can take you and show you some of our KZN birds. I'm packing myself in the car. If they don't want to take me, I am finding a suitcase and I'm becoming part of their luggage because I definitely want to do that. Because one, I'd love to see the bearded vultures and um, and I've, I know I'm supposed to have seen the Narana Trogon in the Eastern Cape, but a lot of people have it that side. So those two, I would actually pack myself in the car just to see from that side. So definitely. Well, we've got nice spots for both of us. So you need to make it down. But thanks again. Really appreciate it. I thank you for your time. Pleasure. Eh? Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. 
If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, feel free to drop us an email on info at theburninglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy burning.